The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're in the midst of a series where we're interviewing agents of transformation, people who are making a positive difference in the world, and we have a very special guest today. Today we have on the show uh, the Reverend Dr. John Waterhouse, who is the president of the Centers for Spiritual Living and also the co-senior minister and founder of Center for Spiritual Living, Asheville. Uh, Dr. Waterhouse, how are you doing? Good morning, Reverend Galen. Good to be with you. It, 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 I'm glad that you had an opportunity in the midst of your schedule to be able to work this out. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So before we get into the questions, because I have some really good questions, I really okay. want to give an uh, opportunity for the audience who might not um, maybe – are connected so much to Centers for Spiritual Living to get an idea of who you are. How did you become involved in New Thought and become a senior minister and and the president of the Centers for Spiritual Living? Great. Glad to do that. So uh, just to be uh, clear overall, Centers for Spiritual Living, formerly known as uh, the Religious Science Movement, uh, founded by Dr. Ernest Holmes, uh, is the... Uh, uh, organization that I am president of, and I am uh, deeply honored to be doing that work. Um, my experience in uh, religious science and learning and studying the science of mind uh, began back in the 1980s uh, when I had just returned from living in uh, Sydney, Australia, where I, I thought I had go, gone to uh, lick my wounds for all the, the, the painful experiences of my life, all my failures, and that I could go hide out on the other side of the planet. But as uh, things work out, I was called back to the United States uh, for family business. And when I returned, uh, by the third day that I was back, I was driving down a road I'd driven down thousands of times in my life because it was near where I grew up. I passed a sign that it must have been there for all those years because it was uh, uh, rusty. It had some rust around the edges. Uh, but it's what it said was science of mind. And not really having any idea what that was, I pulled in and uh, went inside, and, and a woman came out from the back, and I asked her what science of mind was, and frankly, I don't remember what she told me, but she invited me to come on Sunday, which I did. I came on Sunday and sat in the front row uh, on the left-hand side of the center aisle, and that was my seat for the next five years. And I was so impressed with what I learned there that uh, I ended up marrying that woman that came out from the back. Yes, yeah, Reverend Dr. Barbara Waterhouse. Uh, and uh, that's uh, probably the greatest accomplishment of my life. <laughs> yes. Beautiful, beautiful. So, well, first of all, let me just say kudos for you for having enough wisdom to make that decision. <laughs> that's the first thing. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So what, what pulled you, and I'm using the word pulled intentionally, into going into ministry because ministry is a unique work. It is. It is a unique work. And mine was a very uh, non-traditional route into ministry. Uh, I had the, the opportunity 
uh, after um, the ministers at uh, the church in Miami had had left uh, and resigned there, uh, there was a an event still planned um, for the Reverend Dr. Terry Cole Whitaker, which I, most people in New Thought know who that is. Yes, uh, and uh, Dr. Terry was uh, was coming to Miami, and and she was to uh, speak at uh, at that church, and uh, we had an interim minister there who needed to go back to California, so it ended up being my job to host and to uh, introduce Terry when she was there, and uh, at. Uh, as the the day went on and and we became closer and closer, she invited me to join her uh, party for dinner that evening at the Fountain Blue Hotel, and, uh, and I ended up sitting next to Terry at a big round table filled with people having discussions. And at one point, Terry looked at me, and at that point, I had just begun my practitioner training. And she looked at me and said, "What can I do for you?" And I very instantly said back to her, "You could ordain me into ministry." And she said, okay, get down on your knees. And she uh, picked up a, uh, a butter knife off the table, and she uh, uh, touched it on my two shoulders across my head and, and declared that I was an ordained minister. And in a moment, in a moment, everything in my life changed. And I realized that that really was my calling. Now, I didn't just jump into, uh, into having my own ministry at that moment. Uh, what I did was uh, continued my studies and did quite a bit of independent study away from classes at the center, and uh, just proceeded to develop myself into someone who could uh, live up to that ordination. And uh, that's actually what happened. Several years later, after uh, Barbara and I were married and we moved to North Carolina, uh, I was kind of waiting for her to be ready to go back into ministry. She had had a uh, rather dramatic and unpleasant uh, departure from uh, active ministry. And after uh, uh, going through a number of phases of going back to college and and uh, uh, gardening a, a half-acre plot of land uh, and making creating so much food that we had no idea what to do with it, uh, I, I at one point actually we were standing on a bridge uh, in the Florida Keys at Christmas time, uh, and it was the middle of the night, and we were fishing on that bridge, and she looked at me and said, "Okay, it's time," and at, at that moment, we uh, knew that we were going into ministry. And I resisted actually having an equal partnership with her at that, in those early days. I was working on a PhD, and uh, uh, my field was organizational psychology, and I thought I had work to do in the business world. And so I said, I'll be there to support you, but this is your ministry. And uh, as I was continuing my doctoral studies, uh, my, my uh, coach and guide through that process one day sat me down and said, why aren't you in ministry with your wife? And I tried to explain to him, but it sounded really lame. And uh, <laughs> so uh, so I, I sat with that and prayed on it. And on a Sunday, not long after that, I announced to our uh, burgeoning new uh, community that I was uh, going to join in full ministry with Barbara. And uh, uh, cheers and accolades followed, and uh, the, we have never looked back. So uh, we have been in ministry as partners for uh, 21 years. We just celebrated our 21st anniversary of founding our center in our living room. We now, we're now on a six-acre campus with a 5,000-square-foot facility that uh, that serves hundreds and hundreds of people every week. We, we estimate about 500 people come through the place every week, and uh, with classes and Sunday celebration and Wednesday evenings and the good things that we do. And it's a very vibrant ministry, and we're very uh, delighted with our process. And we're in a city of, of about 85,000 people, uh, and, and proportionally we, we have maybe uh, per capita one of the largest uh, New Thought centers in the country when you consider the, the, uh, the range of where people come to uh, to be a part of us. That's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I'm going to get to the, to the, to the questions now. All right. Because, <laughs> thank you, because, you know, you know, I've seen you at, you know, events and we really haven't had an opportunity to sit down so i didn't know any of that information that you just gave so thank you because that gives gives me an opportunity to say oh this is the background of a person that gives you an understanding of their stance because i believe that your your story like everybody's story is unique and the uniqueness of the story drives behavior you know you know you know, for instance, you know, I came out of the context of, 
you know, almost uh, died from an asthma attack that I didn't even know I had. I didn't even know I had asthma and Fisavix vapor rub on my chest. So when I w- ended up in the hospital for f- five days <laughs> and I was a, a puppy in New Thought, I had to get it yeah. because I was thinking I'm 20 years old and I'm about and they're telling me that I almost died and I know I almost died. For me, it was getting the understanding because I wanted to be healthy. So everybody's perspective influences what they do and how they do it in their own unique background. But let me let me get to before some of the you, questions. Before you get into your questions, I, I just I want I, I'm going to ask you to indulge me just a moment more to give you another piece of the story that will kind of tie this all together. Got it. Go right uh, ahead. When we started our center, it was an independent science of mind center. We were not interested in being part of of either of the existing religious science organizations at the time, and, uh, just because we had had some challenges with that. Uh, but I was in uh, on working on my doctorate and uh, was asked to be on a on a doctoral committee up in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I showed up and sat next to a woman, uh, uh, Jude Gladstone Cade, that had been contracted by United Church of Religious Science to lead them through a major restructuring. And uh, as it turned out, I was asked to play lead facilitator of that event where that was to be uh, uh, reviewed and, and voted on. Uh, by the the member communities of United Church, and uh, so I showed up uh, to do that good work, and it was a very powerful time for me, and and I really got a sense of that organization and its willingness to change, and um, and we led them through that process, and it was a very successful process. All but one community decided to move forward into this new structure called the Global Heart Vision, and at that point, I said to to my wife uh, that I, I would like to consider joining that organization. And she she thought that was not a good idea, but trusted me enough to give it a go. And we did join United Church and became active in that. Uh, and once we were in, what I realized my greatest dream was to see uh, United Church of Religious Science and Religious Science International, that had the two organizations that had split from one uh, back in the 1950s, in fact, the same year I was born, and I had this great desire to see it all come back together as one. So I took that on as my personal vision and included it in my spiritual practice every day for years and was invited to be a part of the team that actually uh, led that coming together. And it was a very powerful time in my life and uh, a big part of why I'm the president of Centers for Spiritual Living. It wasn't uh, just that, uh, that I wanted to do that uh, to be the president. I wanted to support the organization in creating this sense of oneness again so that we would, would be the oneness that we taught people to understand. And uh, I, I think now after four years, I can say uh, unca- uh, with absolute certainty that this organization is one, and there's absolutely no talk of, of it splitting any, in, into anything other than this wonderful organization that has a great and bright future. Beautiful. Just, just for the record, before we get into the other questions, how many churches are in the Centers for Spiritual Living currently yeah, about, worldwide? About 430 um, member communities, as we call them. Worldwide. Okay. Uh, then we have uh, th- uh, over 1,000 uh, uh, groups called Spiritual Living Circles, groups that meet in people's homes and uh, uh, or you know wherever it is that they choose to meet. Uh, but groups that meet uh, in a more, much more casual uh, environment to talk about spiritual principles, and that's happening all the time. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's almost similar to uh, the the old days of New Thought, before yes. there were a lot of organizations. People got together, in, or you know, and studied together, and prayed together, and worked on right. metaphysical lessons together. It wasn't well, that's or, Right. That's how New Thought came to be. I mean, it's yeah. been around for, for millennia, but it was always done in back rooms quietly uh, where where it wouldn't draw a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, all of the uh, of the mystery schools and the uh, uh, the, the different uh, groups that would meet and study that way, the Magi, you know, groups like that yeah. that always did this work, uh, but it was secretive. And now uh, because of the film wars and, and uh, Ernest Holmes and people like Johnny Coleman, it's out in the world in a big way. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So what I want to ask you is, uh, I want to ask you about new thought and a word I think is almost considered uh, a bad word in new thought, evangelism. 
Mm. How can New Thought evangelize? And I don't mean, you know, fear-based evangelism. Evangelism is from the root word of meaning going out to help spread the message. Mm-hmm. How do we do a better job of that? Because people keep telling me New Thought's the best kept secret in the world. I was like, it doesn't need to be a secret. The world needs a healing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I think that's uh, uh, not a good thing to say because what we say is is what we create. Yeah. So I encourage anyone that says that secret stuff to stop saying it. And I yeah. encourage anyone that says we're like trying to herd cats to stop saying that too. Right. <laughs> because right. because that just uh, identifies and exacerbates the, the challenge that we have. Um, but I have an idea around this. I, it's a great question, uh, Reverend Galen, and I, uh, I have a thought, and it really goes back to the, um, the beginnings of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were people out there like Paul and Peter that would, uh, would travel, and then their students would travel and, and support uh, groups and set up churches in different uh, cities, around the Mediterranean, uh, and that was how it got started. But the reason it, I believe that it grew was not because of the philosophy of Christianity, not because of the idea of a, uh, a man-god that came and, uh, and brought a message that would change the world. I believe the reason that it caught on was because those were brutal times. Those were challenging times where survival was the most important thing. And Christians had moved beyond the the necessary uh, idea of surviving into an idea of loving, of supporting one another, of of working with the poor and the sick, and doing the kinds of things that Jesus modeled for us, but actually taking that or turning that into a culture. And that when people would watch these happy people helping others. It was uh, an enigma. They didn't ever. They'd never seen anything like that. And suddenly, they said, "I want to be a part of something like that." It was totally new to them, and that is how I believe the early church grew and prospered was by the actions of the people. And and then once people were involved, they learned about the theology and the idea of a of a one God and that God, uh, you know, having the the uh, the triune nature and all of the things that come out of that. But that wasn't what drove it. it. What drove it was people being happy and people living joyous, love-filled lives. And I believe that we do it the same way, that mm-hmm. we spread the idea of new thought, not by trying to proselytize the teachings of new thought, but to show how wonderful life is when you live according to those ideas. Yeah. Are you familiar with the author Rodney Stark? He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity years ago when I was in the midst of um, um, either licensed teacher or ministerial training in the mid 90s. Somebody recommended the book to me and I bought it and read it. And one of the things uh, and I haven't read the book in a long time, so I don't want to misquote him, but I have a pretty good memory. One of the things they talked about in that book is the very thing that you mentioned, that in the midst of this Mediterranean area and near east, near eastern area, um, it was cer- certain things that Christians did as far as loving and taking care of each other. He mentioned how, um, how they would stand on their convictions about who they were. They, he mentioned about how um, in those early days of Christianity, uh, this guy's a sociologist, how um, many of the religions did not accept women as a part of their quote unquote membership. You know, you can only be in something if your husband was in it and um, you weren't viewed as an equal. And in those earlier days, um, women were uh, allowed to be a part of it. And in many times leaders before, obviously the church became its own semi government and he he really shows from a sociology point of view how the, the Christian church grew in its first 300 years or so. It's a really good read. Just yeah. as you were saying that, it popped in my head, and I hadn't thought about that book in years. But it, he literally is, said the same thing you're saying. People watch the them. answer is there. I think one of the best things, are we, we're getting ready to, to take a break here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, uh, in, uh, in about 13 seconds, but we can yeah, push well, it a minute or so. I want to pursue this when when we come back from our break because I think there's there's something here that we've started talking about that really is the essence 
of how we build this movement. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, before we take our break, I just want to remind the listeners that this show, along with all the shows on Unity Online Radio, are are supported by your uh, loving gifts and donations. Go to unity.fm, click on the donate button to help support this online ministry so we can help spread this message around the world. Somebody's listening to this show in Mexico and in Canada and the Caribbean and Europe in the Middle East. You just don't know. If they have Internet access, they can listen to Unity Online Radio. So we um, appreciate your support. Don't forget that this show has a Facebook page. Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell as well. We're going to take our first break. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We have the Reverend Dr. John Waterhouse, President of Centers for Spiritual Living, as our special guest today. And we were talking about how we spread, how do we grow the New Thought Movement. And uh, Dr. Waterhouse, you said you wanted to... Uh, keep going and sp- speak a little bit more about this particular uh, subject. So you have the floor. Well, I, I want to bring up the idea of gender and how that applies to it. Okay. Uh, any of the Western philosophies, and frankly, even Eastern philosophies, tend to to be patriarchal and yes. have strong male leadership. And there's just some kind of thing that happens with human beings wanting to put guys in charge most of the time. And it takes work to turn that around. Uh, the president of Centers for Spiritual Living and the spiritual leader. We're both guys. Uh, but but the truth is, is that the people that drive this new thought movement are women. That without the dedication and support of strong leaders, women leaders, in our movement, we would not be who we are today. So uh, I, I think that that's a key element that uh, that gives us hope for the future is that uh, we, I have seen so many, I'm, I'm married to one of them, a woman that is dedicated to this teaching, that lives it, uh, and that practices these principles in every aspect of her life. And I think that if you look in any new thought space, there, of course, are men and women. But if you take your count, you're going to find more women are drawn to this. It's a, it's a feminine-driven movement, and I think that's a good thing. I think that makes us a stronger, more stable movement as we continue to grow. Absolutely. I can remember telling people who are familiar with New Thought, but not necessarily as familiar with uh, Reverend Coleman, that Johnny Coleman built the largest church at the time in the city of Chicago, the third largest city in the nation, teaching New Thought. 
So, uh, you know, a black woman from Mississippi builds the largest church in Chicago. She was on TV in 1981 before most of the televangelists. And she, she ended up coming off of TV when we moved locations. I, to this day, I don't know why she stayed off of TV. I know when you're doing a big move, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. But I, I just start thinking about all of these firsts, firsts, yeah. firsts. And Chicago, you know, is a melting pot city. It has a lot of diff- different ethnic backgrounds. For a for a woman to have the largest church and a black woman to have a lar- the largest church in Chicago speaks a lot to our movement. And, yeah. it's, you know, and we have to be able to celebrate that. You know, that, you know, if 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 you're willing to do the work and willing to practice the principles and and apply them in a in a demonstrative way, then it doesn't make a difference who you are. We will honor and respect it and support you because of the work, not because of the gender, not because of the race, not because of the, uh, you know, political affiliation, not because of who you know or don't know, but because of consciousness. Yes. And that matters. Absolutely. It does. All right. I get to tell you my, my Johnny Coleman story. Go, go right ahead. When I was working on my Ph.D., I actually did my dissertation on a, a style of, of meeting structure called open space. And, uh, and I created this model and actually applied it through some of the work that I was doing with the Crystal Cathedral and uh, Robert Schuller at the time. And I, uh, was, I had a contract with Robert Schuller Ministries uh, working on the issue of youth violence. And I was asked to go out and find several uh, uh, strong uh, faith communities in the United States that would help host and sponsor these symposia that we did around the country. And I called and asked if uh, uh, CUT would be interested, and I got a, a great affirming yes and came. And uh, we did one there in at your facility that you're in right now, and it was very well attended, and it was very powerful, and we learned a lot. The night before the event... Uh, Dr. Coleman came in to uh, wish us well and asked if we could do a prayer circle. So we, those of us that were there uh, circled up, and I uh, held her right hand in my left hand, and she began to pray. And I thought she was going to pull my arm out of my shoulder as her arms went up with great zeal and enthusiasm. Uh, it's just like she almost jolted me out of my body with, with her her passion and her power and i thought oh my god what a presence i mean she's just the presence to look at oh, she was so tall and so stately and and such such a, a, a an incredible presence but that prayer i will never forget yes you know uh just a quick story just since we're talking about johnny coleman stories we have a a, a chapel a smaller chapel in the building we call the faith chapel which we can put about roughly about if we pack it, pack it thick, maybe about 250 people mm-hmm. um, before the fire code says we can't do more. <laughs> and and uh, So we were having a meeting. It was a Saturday meeting, and she was meeting with many of the ministerial leaders. And after the meeting was over, you know how it, how it is when you're the pastor or senior minister of a, of, a, of a center. It's hard for you to get out of space. You know, how people yeah. just stop you, then they stop you, then they stop you, then they stop you, pray for me, talk to me, I need your attention right now. And in the midst of someone trying to stop her, the woman said, uh, would you pray for me? And, bef- and before Reverend Coleman could pray, she hugged her. I mean, she just hugged the, the, the woman. And the woman passed out. Ah. <laughs> I'm like, literally, I'm talking about hit the floor hard. I'm not talking about like when you gradually go down. It's like arms, they, they embraced each other. Bow, right on the floor. And I'm standing there looking at this. <laughs> Reverend Coleman says, the power's all over me. Take me into my office. <laughs> That woman stayed on that floor for about ten minutes. Oh. I mean, it was it, it was it was like okay, is something wrong? Is whatever? I mean, she. Oh no! It was, it was the energy of the moment. It, I'm sure yeah, I saw, I yeah. saw uh, Johnny Coleman do that that panorama of truth where she touched people and they went down. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it, was it, 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 
Yeah, it, it was it was shocking. I was newer in the ministry at the time, so he's like, she just hugged somebody and they passed out. It was it was very shocking. But anyway, <laughs> let me move to my uh, more questions. So, what is the main thing you think New Thought offers to the world? A practical way to live your life honestly, lovingly. Uh, and without fear of a, of a God that could hurt you. I think that's the beauty of it, is that it's really, when people say the, the onuses aren't on us uh, and we feel burdened by that, no, we're blessed by that. We right. create our experience, and there's nothing outside of us that is more powerful than we are. That's the thing that makes it different. And, and all of the other faiths that I've ever seen, uh, up close anyway, and I'm sure I haven't seen all of them, but most of them have some relationship with something outside of them beyond their control, and we have exactly the opposite. We have absolute control of everything that is happening in our lives, and the beauty of that is what I think makes us so unique and, and important in the world. We're, we, we don't have a lot of room for uh, abject humility. We are the presence of the divine, and it shows up uh, in our lives according to our consciousness. And when we live that way, we live amazing, powerful, meaningful lives. And, and my God, how could it be any better than that? I had someone telling me uh, just uh, uh, yesterday, I think it was, that, uh, that they believe that Bernie Sanders uh, follows the, this faith. Of course, I think he grew up Jewish, uh, but that, that he believes what we believe and that that may have a lot to do with his current success in, uh, in, in delivering a message to the, uh, the American people. And I, that speaks, I say no, nothing about that to make it political. It's just an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, I know. You know, that's the thing about it, because actually I've been on um, on Facebook and I've had people, hey, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? And my position is always the same. I agree with people who talk about oneness. I agree with people who talk about what we, how we can not condemn, but how we can enhance, how we yes. can include how we can involve, how we can transform, how we can renew, how can we, how can we revitalize? That's the conversation because that's the new thought conversation. And if it's talking about something other than that, then I'm not for it. I'm not against anybody, but I'm not for it. <laughs> and I think that that's one of the things that's 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 challenging about it because I'm a big believer in what Neil Donald Walsh wrote in one of his books that your your uh, to paraphrase, your spirituality is your politics. Yes. I think, it, I think it has to show up, you know, because who you are spiritually and how you reflect and think spiritually will affect how you see life in general. And I think that that matters. And the context in which we see life is oneness. So moving on, um, how do you think the greater New Thought movement can do a better job of working together? That's a big question. Um, and, and having seen the attempts at that, including uh, INTA and AGMT, these different groups that, that try to create collaboration between new thought communities, um, it's not our greatest strength to create uh these kinds of collaborations, and I, I don't, I'm not, I don't say that critically, just observing it. And I think part of the issue is that the gift that we bring is not really a collective gift; it's a gift in in the consciousness of the individual. Mm-hmm. It's that the things that we teach, one must do for themselves. No one can do it for them. No one can lead them into a greater level of consciousness. They must choose to embrace these ideas and to apply them to the circumstances of their lives, to, uh, to, to recognize that we are a cause and that we create effect in our lives, and, and to work from that understanding as an individual journey. We come together, we're social animals, and we, uh, we enjoy one another, and we, we have friends, and we have heartstrings to, to people, and, and we have all this loving connection, but truly the philosophy that we teach is not uh, is not a social philosophy. It's an individual understand who you are in the midst of the divine. And I think that that creates a dilemma for us because we're not planning, all planning to be in heaven together. You know, it's those, those aren't, the, those aren't the, the way that we see the world. We see that there is 
um, there's power in the individual, and that's the divine presence uh, showing up and and uh, revealing itself through each individual, and uh, and that's where the new thought message lies. Yet again, we are social beings, and we do these other things, and they're good. But uh, the thing that drives us is is that internal. I did a, a, one of those uh, little Q and A things. We had a snow day in Asheville a few weeks ago. I had a rather small group, and I thought it was manageable to do that thing where you pass out paper and pens, and people get to write questions and. Barbara and I took turns answering them that morning, and that was lovely. But afterwards, I read them all. I read every question, and what I saw was there a great pattern of people still grappling inside themselves for how to live according to these principles that we teach and how to have a, a sense of the divine within them. Those, that's still the work, and that's what we have to keep focused on no matter what. Uh, and and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that you can reach out to another and, and and resolve your issues. You really have to do them on on their own. And you know, I say that even though in our uh, culture we have practitioners who who uh, are committed to working with others, and that's a very powerful thing that you can uh, hold someone in prayer and see a, a change of, of effect in that person's life. So um, it, it isn't like we're alone by ourselves, yet we still have to do the work. Ernest Holmes said that if you that if you work with a practitioner, yes, the, the conditions in your life can change. But if you don't change your consciousness, they will revert back to something like that that was there before. Because you are, you are uh, I, I like to call it lending consciousness from a practitioner who works with you. You're, you're there. That practitioner lends their consciousness to you, and you see a change of condition in your life. But you still have to change your consciousness to get that change in others to show up in an ongoing way. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, I have a question that has come up from time to time in uh, New Thought circles, and the question is: Will New Thought ever have fully? accredited universities similar to how a person who is Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic can go get an actually fully accredited, acknowledged and recognized by any uh, any organization as far as jobs or um, institutions that, that qualify accreditation will be acknowledged by any of them you know you can go to a wheaton college you can go to you know xyz pentecostal university or bible college and it's fully accredited you can get different degrees you can get bachelor's masters and doctorates but in the new thought circles people go to school a long time but but many times their their credentials are only recognized within their particular organization not any any other organization not only that but that those, but it's not considered by many to be accredited outside as as equal to going to, for instance, a Wheaton College in you know in Evanston, Illinois, or or uh, a Catholic institution. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that th- the things are changing in this country and in in the whole idea of academia that we have for centuries had this model where you you pick up and you move to another city and you go to a college. And it's a residential type of thing, and you live there, and you and you go to your classes, and you get your degree, and uh, then you take that out into the world for whatever purpose. Um, that's shifting. More and more people are getting their education online, even with accredited institutions. And and I bring this up because this is what's happening within the the science of mind movement. Uh, we've had uh, our way of teaching ministers and preparing ministers for their service in the world. Uh, has never been completely residential. Uh, we've always required a certain level of, of in uh, in people being on uh, you know present to take uh, their coursework uh, uh, on site. But what we have now is a thing called Holmes Institute, which is actually an accredited institution offering a master's degree in consciousness studies, and you can get a master's degree. Uh, from and it is totally accredited uh, by taking a series of, of master's level courses online. And there is, you know, the, the requirement, I think, of maybe once or twice during the course of those studies uh, that you are required to go and be with your colleagues face-to-face, but most of that is done online. And it seems if you look at the major universities in the country, they are serving more people online these days than they are uh, in their classrooms. In fact, what I heard a, a 
a statistic about Stanford University, you know, major college on the West Coast, a totally traditional residential and the whole thing. But they now serve more people online through Stanford University than anyone and everyone that has ever been a student at Stanford uh, for their residential programs. More people online than their entire history. That's That's how different things are getting. Uh, and I think we just we are trying to adapt. In, even in, in in our teaching, we have we have added a member community. Uh, 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 what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, a, a new qualification or a new uh, area of, of member community, and that's virtual ministry. Meaning that even people who are serving in roles of ministry can do that to a great degree online, and we're just going to have to accept that that's where things are going. And that we'll have to create community in new ways, rather than all the ways of all being in the room and breaking bread and and uh, hugging one another. That, that we're often going to be connecting through, as you and I are connecting here today. Right, right. It's it's basically a new category that's been created yes. out of necessity. Yes, and we want to make sure that we do it well. So we're setting high standards for teaching online, and requiring that all of our ministers and teachers uh, have that if they're going to teach online, that they have taken uh, the the qualification coursework to, to be able to do that really well because it is a different style of teaching. Yes, yes. Many times in this show I actually teach instead of interview people. Mm. So, you know, I've, you know, I've taught more of the core material from the UFBL side and with Reverend Coleman coming out of the unity movement, you know, lessons and truth, discover the power within you, you know, prosperity by Charles Fillmore, Christian healing, et cetera, making sure that, you know, if you're going to teach it chapter by chapter, what are the fundamental points you want to get across? Right. You know, allowing people to ask questions, call in and ask me questions. You're reading the book, et cetera. And it is going well um, because I think there's a need for it. Everybody won't have the opportunity to just drive to a local New Thought Center. Exactly. What do you do about those people? Anyone in the world can participate. Right. Yes. And that is the value of making sure that we look at it differently. So, you know, I think that we all in the in the New Thought movement have to have something where people are learning online. I know a few years ago we put our teacher training program online as the Leadership Academy before uh, Dr. Mary Tumkey made a transition. And, you know, we looking at it looking at it again and and also doing some other work with the uh, johnny coleman theological seminary because we have to be able to empower people and i always say swiftly but efficiently because i think at times if you, you, the, the 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 overtraining can take the enthusiasm out of people but you want people prepared you know it's a delicate balance it's a delicate balance, you know, and you want people to be fired up, but you don't want them to be fired up and giving out improper information. We start talking about working with the mind. So a couple more questions, because we have about 12 more minutes. I want to make sure that I get all of the uh, questions that I had written down, if possible. This is a question that came out of um, a class I had yesterday, uh, last week. In one of my classes, I teach uh, the, the primary or fundamental class at CUT, we have two of them. We call them Basic Truth Principles, Part 1 and 2. So I teach Part 1 and I teach Part 2. Part 1 is um, we do Alternatives by William Fisher. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, and New Thought Christian by William Warch. And Part 2 is Lessons and Truth by H. Emily Cady. So in Part 1, um, as we're going through, you know, a history of New Thought and, you know, speaking about the different organizations, uh one of the the students started to mention that he had heard similar messages from these different ministers, and he starts to name them. You know the 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 you know the Joel Osteens and the Cruflo Dollars and the uh, Leroy Thompsons and the T.D. Jakes and you know Word of Faith type ministers, as they're called. And and uh, I said to them, I think it's great. Let them take as much as they need to take and allow and evolve it because, you know, it's an empowering message. Now, they're mixing and blending it with fundamentalism. But if you keep playing with this type of message, it's going to grow you. So I guess my question to you is, you know, 
I'm 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 excited that more and more uh, fundamentalist Christians are using New Thought material. Uh, but what are your feelings about that? Because some people have um, um, concerns that you know our message is being taken, and I don't believe that we have a message. Uh, <laughs> We're just the caretakers of a message. It's not our message. What, you. what are your thoughts on that? I absolutely agree. <laughs> truth, you, you can't own the truth. Yeah. You can learn the truth. You can use the truth to guide your actions, but nobody owns it. So the idea that anyone else from any other faith would apply aspects and principles of what we teach is a blessing. It means that other people are hearing this. And if our intention is to have this wonderful uh, new thought movement uh, that is known by all in the world, I think that's ego-based. If the point is for the truth principles that we know to be shared with everyone on the planet, then we must let everyone teach it. And we right. must support them and believe in them and, and see them as they're evolving into a greater understanding that this is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. So I, I do nothing but celebrate that anyone from any faith would use the principles that we use and apply them and teach them in the world. That's a blessing. That's why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw uh, last week a prominent African-American actress who's a fundamentalist is going to be teaching a vision boarding session. <laughs> and I chuckled cause, because I, because, you know, my grandmother actually on my, on my, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my maternal grandmother was an evangelist. She had, you know, like prayer meetings in the house and Bible study and, you know, laying hands on people and all of that. If you would have brought a vision board or image book or treasure map, the different versions of, you know, names that they've been called to my grandmother and her colleagues, they would have thought that you were you came right out of hell. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if it doesn't fit in the model, then you can't yeah. do it. And right. I think learning otherwise. Uh, uh, one of the things that I have great joy in my life is 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 uh, uh, my work with Native American spirituality, mm-hmm. and it's so it's so earth based. It's so natural. It's so uh, uh, elemental, and it has many of the same. Uh, ideas that we teach in New Thought. Uh, there's a thing called uh, a thing where you call in the directions, where you face the four directions, and then above and below and within. Uh, so there's seven actually, and and there's a process that natives do, and many of them will say, uh, "Aho, uh, spirits of the west, look this way." And what I say is, uh, "Aho, spirit, creator of all, look this way and teach me from the east or from the west." You know, because if there's only the one, so you can blend those those ideas together and see the beauty that dwells in in so many faiths in so many ways, um, and yet still be true to the principles of oneness, the principles of of uh, uh, understanding the presence of the divine as absolute, whole, and complete in every way, and 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 you can find that and apply that in any. Pretty much any teaching. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist, so that's the place that it's the hardest for me. But I do know that there's a a Baptist uh, Bible college in Nashville, Tennessee, and the uh, uh, spiritual leader of our movement and the chair of our our leadership team are meeting uh, next week. Or maybe it's this week. Yes, it's this week in Nashville uh, with this Baptist uh, uh, theologian. Uh, to talk about uh, things that we have in common. That's the work. Yes. You know, to bring down those barriers and, 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 and create bridges so that we can communicate in the things that are important to us. We don't all, all have to see God the same way. Frankly, God doesn't care. Right. <laughs> right. We care because we've seen the value of do, uh, living life according to the way we teach it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody's got to do it that way. There's got to be room for everybody to find their way to God, and if truly all paths lead to God, then they then they do, and that's that. And the and, and the natural evolution of the human experience is aligning more with us because that's where we're going. We're finding God everywhere, always, and and learning that that we're not separate from the divine. And those things are are so valuable and so important to know. Yes, definitely, definitely. So. What's what's coming up for the Centers for Spiritual Living this year? You know, do you have any conferences or any yeah. major programs that you want to let the public know about? We'll be having our annual convention in Salt Lake City, Utah, 
um, the dates right off the top of my head. It's two weeks from now. So um, I suppose you could say two weeks from today we'll be meeting in Salt Lake. And uh, this is our annual event. It will be the fifth. Is it the fifth? Yes, the fifth official meeting of Centers for Spiritual Living since we uh, integrated the two previous organizations into one. And uh, it's a, uh, a powerful time for us to be together. Uh, we are doing more and more to up-level our skills in uh, leading and administering and uh, being in community in effective ways. Again, you go back to our base, and it's about how the individual uh, functions within this dynamic of the divine and we're, we're so we're learning how to work in community and in organization. And so we bring, we're bringing in experts that will help us, continue to help us. And then in April, we have what's called our fin- first ever Financial Freedom Academy, where we're going to have experts on, on how to uh, deal with the financial aspects of, of being in community in meaningful ways and creating um, uh different ways for people in communities to be supporting financially the organization uh, with uh, uh, foundations and bequests and, and the things that actually many of our, uh, our brothers and sisters in the more, in the more Christian faiths have, uh, have been doing for, for generations. And we're just learning how to do that. You know, excuse me. I just wanted to just for one moment, Reverend Coleman actually did that in the eighties. Yeah. And I, um, one of our maintenance guys found a, a a box of about twenty tapes, where she she did a, 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 a it had to be mid eighties, mm-hmm. just in a box in a closet upstairs, and it was called building an excellent church, and all of it was like what are the aspects you have to have? She brought all these experts in mm-hmm. for new thought leaders to be able to teach them all the different various aspects of how you do church. The legal, the music, the ministry, the pastoral care. It was just amazing. It was like, this was just sitting upstairs in a closet yeah. for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll happen again and again. You know, we have to learn the same lessons. Every generation has to learn. Them. So uh, uh, that's brilliant. It's wonderful to know that that even the, the great doc, Dr. Coleman uh, had to, uh, to provide that information to to the member communities within uh, the CUT family, uh, you know we're all we're all finding our way. Yes, yes. One last question. Uh, oh, by the way, let people know what, how they can get in contact with you and Centers for Spiritual Living website or email address or whatever you want to give. Yeah, our our uh, main uh, address for our website is csl.org. You know, with the W's in front of it and all that, but CSL.org will get you there, and you can find any community within our organization. Uh, all the events that are happening, registrations are done there. So there's a real wealth of information about what we are doing in the world and how we are are living by the principles of science of mind. Beautiful, beautiful. So my last question is: New thought. It's really not a question; it's more of a statement. I think that one of the things that could help and benefit New Thought is, as a part of our teacher, ministerial, practitioner training, depending on the the brand of New Thought, that we actually have youth ministry as a part of training. Youth ministry many times is taught on the back end of once you get out of training or being done by lay people instead of our most well-equipped people. What are your thoughts about having youth ministry as an aspect or a part of the track of learning? I think that has great value. I mean, uh, any community that, that doesn't recognize the value of families and, and young people uh, and children is is missing the boat because the, you cannot grow a church. And we, what we see is churches that have no interest in that, uh, they, they everyone ends up in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then they close because there's nothing to continue. The youth is is that connection with the ne- the next uh, iteration of who we are. So we have to work and support our children. One thing that I make very clear to people is that communities having youth programs are never money makers. You do not make money on families and children. It costs you money, but they're the future. They're the ones that will that need to know what we know. And if we don't provide that. 
at any cost that we're we're moving backwards. And what I find too is that the older people that love to see the children come in and know that they're learning and that they're using these principles, uh, uh, that that allows them to uh, experience a sense of joy where they are stronger supporters to the to the faith uh, because of those children. So it, it does pay off. It has to. And we have to do more and more upfront, as you say, uh, to support our or, our organization and in, in being uh, proactive in that area of supporting our children and teaching them what we know. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Dr. Waterhouse, we have run out of time, but I thank you so much. We're going to have to have you back on the show to talk about some other things, because I think that uh, we've only scratched the surface of some of the things that I think we need to talk about a new thought. And I believe in conversation, we can come up with understanding and actionable items. Yes. So it, it, it really gives us an opportunity to, to really think this movement out because we're new thought. So as, as your founder of your movement said, we have to be open at the top. There you go. So thank you so much for um, working it out with your schedule. I appreciate it greatly, and we'll be in contact. We'll be in contact because it's work to do, and right. I'm willing to make sure that, that I can be a stand for Centers for Spiritual Living or Unity or any other New Thought movement just as much as I am for UFBL. Very nice. Thank, thank you. Very, my pleasure. Thank you. God bless. Well, thank you all. We'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Have you ever said to yourself, I'm living a life I never intended to create? What life did you intend to create? Did you set goals? Did you work toward reaching those goals? If we don't have a specific goal in mind or we don't know where we want to go, we may be likely to end up in places not of our choosing. Establishing goals along with guidelines on how to achieve them helps to keep us focused and energized and often makes our lives more interesting, useful, and successful. It's never too late to take control of your life. Once you have your purpose clearly in mind, explore the various ways you can make it happen and visualize the process you believe can work best. Set goals, do what it takes to accomplish them, and enjoy your process. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. 
Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.